Hey everybody, it's Seth Rudetsky. Welcome to Seth Rudetsky's Back to School. Today I have the multi-talented Jason Alexander. And he talks about how Pippin basically began his obsession with Broadway. So I have a Pippin and Broadway story. I did a Broadway show called The Ritz. And at the end of the show, there's a talent contest. It takes place in a bathhouse. And Joe Montella was a director and he said, I want you to do magic to do from Pippin. So I was in this like crazy black unitard with white gloves surrounding me like on an umbrella. But that's how Magic To Do began in Pippin with all these white gloves. So I'm holding an umbrella with all these white gloves. And then on the back of my unitard are these other white gloves. Anyway, it was funny. So after the show one day, I'm at the stage door and I run into, I won't say who, but let's just say uh, an amazing Broadway diva who I was a big fan of. And she was like, oh, Seth, you were so funny in the show. And that costume was so funny when you did Magic to Do. And she said, oh my gosh, because how did they get all that padding around your unitard in the middle? How'd they get that padding? So Lily had to go, um, well, it wasn't padding. That's actually my fat. And she's like, no, 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 what? No. And I said, yeah. I said, it's called basically like, I have love handles. She goes, what? No. And then she crazy tries to backpedal. She's like, no, you're not fat. I mean, look, you're not fat. And she starts poking me to show that I'm not fat. But she's basically poking the one area on your body where there is no fat, my rib cage. She's like, look, you're not fat. You're not fat. I go, right. The area that had the padding was my love handle. So it wasn't, it wasn't a magic costume. It was called a unitard that clung to my love handles. What's your next question? Silence. Dreading morning classes. Stealing bathroom passes. Football. Drivers and SATs. Bullies that attack me. Why do I have back knees? Jock straps. Training bras. Frenemies. We remember back then. It's like freshman year again. Ready, steady, now you're in it. Pencil, stop us any minute. Jason Alexander. Hey everyone, it's Heather Dutsky. I'm sitting here with actor, belter, dancer, and Jerome Robbins Broadway, TV star, comedian, magician, director, Jason, I want to say Shulamson. What's your real Jewish last Greenspan. name? Greenspan. I knew it was going to be very Jewish. Jason Alexander, <laughs> a.k.a. Greenspan. All right, Jason, let's go. First of all, in high school, were you called Jason or were you a different first name too? Uh, my actual name is Jay, J-A-Y, Scott Greenspan. My mother named me that and then called me Jason from the minute I was born. So you never called, what about, so my first day of school was always like, Jay? Yeah, I was always Jay at school. I mean, the kids that grew up in me were Jay. So you grew up, you graduated high school, I want to say 1977? 77. And what high school were you in? Livingston High School, Livingston, New Jersey. Oh, I thought it was a little more um, Jewishy suburby, was it? No, uh, suburby, Jews, well, it was 60-40, 60 Italian, 40 Jewish. Oh, and could you pass, as we say, do they think you were Italian? No, the Italians were very clear about who was not. Very clear. Uh, Livingston also had a fair amount of retired dons or made men. Really? And so a lot of the Italian kids had some, I shouldn't say a lot, that's not fair. A number of the Italian kids had a peripheral connection to the Cosa Nostra. So we didn't, I was definitely not uh, one of the group. Did that affect your high schoolness at all? Only that there were kids that were just rat bastards and you couldn't touch. They were like made men. You couldn't do a thing. <laughs> high school version of made men. Yeah. Were you ever bullied for anything? Sure. All the time. You were? Oh, yeah. For what? Being hilarious? My elementary school years were in Maplewood, New Jersey. And I have a half brother and half sister, but they're 14 and 20 years older than me. Oh. So I grew up basically as an only kid. So I was the little fat, you know, single kid. And I got... 
pushed around quite a bit. In high school, when I started really leaning into the theater stuff, you know, I was the, I know this word is not PC anymore, but I was the fag. And so we were a very athletic school. Livingston High had the number one football team in the state when I was uh, in high school. So there were the jocks and there were the, the, you know, it's almost like uh, we're going back to school. There were the greasers and there were the there were stoners and there were the jocks and there were the theater kids. And I was the most prominent of those theater kids. So I kind of got it the most. They actually called you a fag? Oh, sure. And to them, they didn't even know what the word meant. Right. I don't think any one of them were thinking, you're a homosexual. Right. They were all just going, you're not us, you're something, whatever they thought that word would connote. Did you know any actual gay kids in high school? We had one kid who came out about a year after, but I think it was just too intimidating an atmosphere for him to feel like he could come out. At, Open know, up to you. Anyway. Tell me what a typical day in high school was like for you. Who woke you up in the morning? Oh, me. My parents were usually gone. So both my parents worked. I was kind of a latchkey kid. My mom ran a school of nursing in Livingston. And my dad did many various and sundry things. But um, there's a musical on my dad. But um, I usually got myself up, got myself to school. I was part of the broadcast unit, you know. So we had our little morning radio show with announcements. And that was when you had to pledge allegiance and do all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So I would do that. That was my homeroom. And then, you know, we went through our day and then I was always in rehearsal. But in terms of parents, would you have to show your grades to your parents and would they be concerned? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were very hands-on. We almost always had dinner together. It would be a later dinner because my mom wouldn't get home until about seven from work. So I would come home. Even as in elementary school, I came home to an empty house. And what would you do when you came home? Sit and watch TV? I'd do a lot of that. Dark Shadows was big when I was a kid. So I'd get into a blind panic watching that. I was really into magic as a kid. So I would go up with the books and the props and be in front of the mirror doing that stuff. So what happened to me is I really thought magic was going to be my thing. And I went to magic camp. I went to Lou Tannen's magic camp and discovered that I was nowhere near as good as I thought I was. Because now I was around other kids my age. Who How old were you? Things. Oh, 12, 13. Okay. And I, I, I definitely got the vibe, this is not going to happen. And we moved from Maplewood to Livingston in that year. And I knew nobody. And we moved over the summer. So I went to the community pool. My mother had signed me up for the community pool. And I'm in the pool... In this new town, I don't know anybody, and this stunningly beautiful young girl comes over and goes, hi, do you sing? And I went, yes. (laughs) And they were doing a production of Sound of Music, and they had lost Friedrich von Trapp. And so I I was pulled into the Sound of Music. It was my first time on stage. And what got me, I actually loved doing the show, but what got me was (gasps) instant community. You go to that first rehearsal and you don't suck. And they're like, hey, you're great. You know, and it's like you've got friends and you've got a place to be and something to do. And that was what first made me go, ooh, this theater thing. And then because we lived in Livingston, we were like a 35-minute bus ride into the city, these kids would go to the theater uh-huh. almost every weekend. And shortly after that, I saw an early matinee of Pippin with, <gasps> with Ben. And I saw Ben Green. on that stage and I went... Oh, magic. The whole thing's an illusion. The whole thing is an illusion. I could do this illusion for real. And that's where I kind of whole hog jumped into, I'm going to be an actor. Literally the song Magic to Do. I didn't think about that. Literally. The minute the curtain went up in the hands Mm -hmm. and I went, what the hell am I seeing? Mm -hmm. What is happening to me right now? And Corner of the Sky, when you're 13, 12 years old and you hear Corner of the Sky, there's got to be my corner something. Come on. I'm like... (laughs) You so identify. You're in. Well, and also so many... Girls are in theater. Was it your ticket to yeah, dating? Yeah, sure. I was much more popular once I joined the theater. I bet you were. <laughs> Did you have one steady girlfriend all through high school? No. Mm-mm. 
Were you a quote unquote player no, or player I just, hater? I just, uh, I was not uh, from the lookers. I had one girlfriend for most of my senior year and I had a couple of dates with a couple of different girls, but nothing that stuck. Were you one of those like obsessed with a girl that kept rejecting you? One of those like heart sick I kids? was heart sick over a girl that was a year younger than me who became an actress. Her name was Julie Montgomery. She became Julia Montgomery. She was the it girl from the sorority in Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, wow. So she actually had a career. She had a career. She also was on uh, one of the local soaps for years and years and years. Was she like the Shiksa goddess to you? Is that she why? She was a Shiksa goddess. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Blonde and blue as they come and had a big crush on Julie. And any interest? Any making no, out? No, We were friendly because she was in the shows, but no. Okay, so you're in high school. What was your easiest class? I'm going to guess like math for you or something? No, oh, God bless you. I would think magician. Math science sucked for me. Sucked. No, my easy classes were English and American history. And when you say easy, like what were your grades? Oh, I, I was a good student. Even though I was not good at math, you know, I was getting B pluses at math. But uh, uh, Your version of not good. So it's Jewish not good. Well, we were but still here's succeeding. the thing, I don't understand algebra. So I must have gotten enough in my head to go spit back and then mm -hmm. it just left because my kids would bring me stuff and I'd go talk to mommy. <laughs> no, dear. <laughs> yeah. So when you're in high school and I know you're doing sort of magic, sort of acting, are you thinking now from ninth grade on, I'm going to be an actor as a profession or were you still yeah. thinking, oh, you actually knew? I fell into a career when I was 14. There's a children's theater group in New Jersey called the Pushcart Players <laughs> and they do little original musicals for kids. And I had fallen into that group peripherally. I was like a replacement. And they were invited to do a television pilot. Some producers said, oh, these little musicals would be a good children's series. And in the group at the time was Ken Jennings, who eventually did Sweeney Todd. Oh my God, Tobias. Mm -hmm. And Ken had been the judge at a junior high school theater festival. And he had been very complimentary to me. He had really been very sweet. He got Sweeney and couldn't do that TV thing. So he said, I just saw this kid. He'd be great. And he recommended me. And we all had to join after in order to do that gig. And that's how I got in the union. The guy that produced it could not sell it as a series, but he got it on like the local CBS affiliate at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, one shot thing. And a management company here in town saw it and took a liking to me, hunted me down and said, we're managers and we'd like to rep you. And I went, okay. And so at 14, I started doing commercials and I went pro. And I remember going into the after office and I was going to use Jason Scott. That was going to be the name, Jason yeah. Scott. And I went in and they said, stage name? I said, Jason Scott, please. And they said, we have 15 of them in every spelling you can possibly... And I couldn't figure out what the hell to do. And I said, oh, you know, my dad probably feels bad about the Greenspan thing. His name was Alex. So I went, how about Jason Alexander? They went, sure. So on the spot, I came up with Jason Alexander. Oh, I thought you did that trick that a lot of people do where they want it, when it's alphabetical cast list, they want to say their name first. <laughs> that was the little, you know, sort of nascent benefit for the whole thing. But I wasn't, I literally on the spur of the moment. Wait a minute. How come I never got commercials? Because apparently I wasn't blonde and blue-eyed enough. And you did. If anyone because, looks like a rabbi. Yes. here's why. Because one of the biggest stars in the world at that time was John Belushi. And mm. I was heavy enough and I kind of had a young Belushi vibe. And that's usually how I got cast. But you were like a 15-year-old John Belushi. Like, what would you do? Yeah, I was just cocky. <laughs> you know, I was just a cocky young kid. So, Jace, all these commercials, which I, by the way, did not get, and I'm still furious, what commercials did you get? So the first one I got, and my wife actually remembered me from this commercial. So my wife is three years older than me, but she was a, a teenager when she saw this. My first commercial was for Hershey Kisses. 
And it was a trio of little vignettes. And mine was the first one up. I had a varsity jacket on at my locker. And I'm talking to the camera as this very tall, much taller than me, beautiful blonde girl mm -hmm. walking up the hall. And I say to the camera, mom always said, big things come in little packages, like the big taste of chocolate in this little Hershey's kiss. And at that moment, she would arrive and go, hi, David. And I just go, hi, Jane. That was my first commercial. And what was it like being a kid, but having to be professional? Because you're treated like an actual professional. Yeah. Was it hard for you? It was really scary in that, so the way I got in the unit, as I said, was the pilot that we did for the little children's theater show. But that to me was like doing theater. It was a multi-camera shoot and it was all my people I knew. So it had no intimidation to it. Suddenly I'm on a, what seems to be a film set mm -hmm. and I'm the guy. And well, uh, you're like 13. I was 13 or 14, wow. yeah. And on a commercial set, as you know, there's a lot of people coming at you. There's the director, but then there's the agency, and then there's the client. And they all kind of want different things. And, uh, you know, A, I'm new at this, and B, I'm a kid, and I'm like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And, you know, a little overwhelmed by it all. But I also went, this is fantastic. But it made me know, all the commercials I did as a kid reinforced for me the notion that I'm a theater actor. This isn't as interesting to me oh. or as comfortable for me as getting up on that stage. And that has never changed. With all the film and work that I've done, it's Seinfeld not. was theater. That was just theater. That because was multi live audience? and a live audience. Yeah. And I never, I mean, we hit marks, but I was never playing a shot to a camera. I was never worried about the cameras. I was playing to my audience. In film, the best film actors, that camera disappears. It can be an inch from their head. They are f laser focused on whatever they're doing. I am always aware that I have this machine sitting next to me and I get a little verklempt and I'm just not as good at it as I am. When I'm on a stage, I go, I know where I am now. I'm okay. You're of the theater. I am. So most kids are making money like babysitting, like $2 an hour. What were you doing with this? You were doing national commercials? Yeah. That's really good money. What did you do with the money? I, mean, I went to we, college. <laughs> okay, so you, were, you kept it yourself in a private yeah. account or something? Yeah. Were you not allowed to use it until you were 18? Like, what are the rules with that? I don't remember allowed or not allowed. I just remember basically my parents went, you can do this as long as you save it for college. I mean, they were not gung-ho about me. I shouldn't say that. My parents came to every performance of mm. everything I did and cavelled, but they were scared to death that this was not a road for a normal mm. person to go down. So they were like, he'll get over it. In the meantime, he'll make some money for college. Yeah, it's great money. So did you have any teachers that weren't nice to you? Like, were you a sassy kid and you got busted for it? No, I don't think I ever had a teacher that wasn't nice to me. Uh, no, I never had that. No. All my problems were outside of the classroom, not in the classroom. From the kids? Yeah. And did you ever go to like an authority figure and say, these kids are being mean to me? I did not. Because? I did not. Um, you want to be a my, quote, rat? Well, again, there was some of that. Because remember, I'm not kidding. There really was a little bit of the, you don't rat on these guys, it'll Oof. get worse. And I won't name names, but there was one guy and he had a little posse of two other guys and they just didn't like me. And he knew the paths I would take in the hallway to get from one class to the next. And they'd find me, and they just were antagonizing to the point where we could have a fight. That's really what they wanted. They wanted to have a fight and not say that they started it. What they didn't know is I had been studying martial arts. <laughs> really? For just this reason. And one day in one of the hallways, 
one of them made a move. I could see him coming from behind me <gasps> to push me. And I sidestepped it and left my foot there, and he tripped over my leg. Oh. And he came up with blood in his eyes. And I threw my books down and went, let's go. <gasps> and we got into it right there in the hallway. I was pulled off of him by a teacher. Jace, I mean, Jay. But yeah. hold on, when you say so you went off of him, were you like, Kick, 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 fan kick, like martial arts I kick. I cannot remember. All I can tell you is when they literally pulled me off of him, I was sitting on his chest with his ears in my hands. Oh. <laughs> you know? This is years of I've had it? Yeah, it was, huh? it was years of fear. It wasn't even anger. It was fear. Any animal, you, they're afraid, mm. they're afraid, and then you corner them. And they'll turn and they'll fight with everything they got. That's what it had pushed. To. And then what did that then mean the next day? Were you now like, the, you know, no one messes with you because you're tough? Um, they stopped messing with me Amazing. Uh, for whatever reason. And here's the sweetest part of it. Years later, I think I was doing Broadway Bound. And this guy showed up at the stage door with his wife. And he said, I want to apologize. And I went, totally accepted. Wow. It, 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 very sweet. I mean, we had gotten past that stupid high school crap. And he said, to be quite honest, and he was a, a football player and he was a good football player. And uh, he said, I was just, you know, I was just jealous you had all this attention and you, you know, and I went, me, <laughs> you were out there making play. We were a football school. You were on the football team. It turned out very nicely, but I love while we were there, it was rough. He sounds so therapized. Yeah. Did one moment actually trigger you to say, I'm going to actually need karate to survive? Yeah. Oh. Again, a very happy accident. So every day I'd come home having been threatened or felt threatened. And I, my dad was a pug. My dad grew up on the Lower East Side. And uh, he was at some point, if the stories he tells me are true, and he's been gone for about 18 years, so I can't check anymore. But he was supposedly an amateur boxer. He supposedly was a little bit of a muscle guy for the Jewish mob for a little while. So he's a tough guy. And I go, Dad, these guys are... And, and he's going... So here's what you do tomorrow. You go up to the biggest one, you punch him right in the face. Just punch him right in the face. Let them know who you are. And I'm trying to explain, I would have to get on a box to punch these guys in the face, you know. <laughs> so I was 11. And you have assemblies, you know, mm -hmm. interest assemblies. People would come and do things that you're not exposed to. And this karate school came. And they did a demonstration with people a little bit older than me, I guess, you know, middle school kids, of taekwondo. And I went, wow, that's amazing. And Taekwondo emphasizes legs more than arms in many ways. And I thought, well, that's great because my legs are longer than my arms. I can keep them further away. <laughs> and I, <laughs> Weird uh, thought. And they had, you could sign up. I mean, they came, I guess, to get more students. So I jumped right in. And I loved it with the exception of they kept talking about you know, this kind of way you get you this belt and you'll be this belt and there's a there's a competition and there's a, and I went I don't care about the belts I don't care about the competitions I got people that I think are trying to hurt me I need to know how to stop them and I had this little editor floating around me all the time that said that won't work that won't work so about I mean, certain steps yeah so about a year in when they started saying okay we're going to now develop our head kick techniques and I went who am I kicking in the head if they're not already on the ground? And if they're on the ground, why am I kicking them in the head? I'm just running. Mm -hmm. If they're on the ground, I'm fleeing You're at absent. this point. So I left Taekwondo and I didn't study for about two years. And then I bumped into a style called Goju Ru. And that was being taught by a, a Newark police officer. 
So I and my friend Ken Hausman went down and we started studying Gojuru. Uh, I did that for a while and then I saw that that was going to become impractical and I just kept jumping styles. So you had multi-styles, you're sort of like Meisner, Uda Hagen, and you had I, all the exactly. different... Exactly, and I sort of, over time, by the time I got out of my 20s, I had put together the Alexander <laughs> technique of going, these 10 things mm-hmm. will get me out of almost any situation. Did you ever use them again except for that I one guy? absolutely did. I, I <gasps> have survived a couple of very, I mean, violent in that they went to physical... Really? Street With things. Julia Louis Dreyfus? Julia was tough because she's <gasps> wiry and fast. <laughs> she's impossible. Wait, it's so scary. I can't believe yeah. I actually used it. Yeah. But good for Nothing you. Nothing since Seinfeld. Everything stopped, you know, around Seinfeld. And I started Seinfeld when I was 30. But I got oh. jumped when I was going to school in Boston by guys with beer bottles. Stop. So I'm walking home after a rehearsal, and I'm in dance clothes, and I've got a bag, and I look like I'm gay. Not a good thing to be in Boston in the 70s. No. It was a very conservative and, you know. And these three guys must have been at the liquor store, and they're drinking their beers, and as they pass me, one of them hits me on the side of the head, and I turn around and go, what the? F-? And they come oh. at me. Wait, you fought off three guys? That sounds like it's a bigger thing than it is. The truth of it is I took a stance because they had kind of cornered me against a wall. If I could have run, I would have run. They were blocking the only way I could run. And I must have taken one of my ready stances. And they went, oh, he's Joe Karate. All right. They saw these Bruce Lee movies. Mm. And what they they determined is Bruce Lee takes on 20 guys (laughs) because the 20 guys come at him one at a time. So they go, on three, we rush him. (gasps) Now, here's the truth. If they had come at me one at a time, they would have had me because as I was dealing with one, if the other one had come up behind me, but they came at me as one big body. So I just hit the thing in the middle as hard as I could and he went down and I just kept running. So yes, it was three guys, but it was really one move and one guy. It was just, I was able to keep my wits about me. But if you've never been in that situation, and almost anybody will tell you this, it feels like it's going in slow motion. It uh, feels like uh. you have a lot of, because your adrenaline's running so high, it feels like you have a lot of time to think. And I went, okay, they're all coming. The guy in the middle is a little off balance. That's where I'm going to go. Take him out. So that's what You just like a Batman to the crotch? It was a little more of a good old Gojuru sidekick to the groin with a simultaneous elbow to the head. And what it did is it doubled him over and moved him to the side, and as my foot came down from that kick, I'm now in fleeing position. So I just moved through this the This is the most them. macho podcast you, I've ever... But here's the thing. It's not, because what happens after that, at least for me, is crying I can't stop shaking <laughs> right and crying <laughs> and vomiting and <laughs> yeah. looking over my shoulder for months okay. after that. I mean, it's so horrifying. There are people that do violence all the time. I'm not one of them, so it really rocks your world. Now, when you say you had all this attention, were you the lead in school musicals? Yeah. <gasps> like what? Go. So I was Fagan and Oliver. I was Nathan Detroit and Guys and Dolls. Wow. I was Oscar Madison and an odd couple. Oh my I God. was David and David and Lisa. For my time at the school, I was the resident star. And... This guy, my Nemesis? drama teacher, oh, your drama, no, my teacher. drama teacher, had me start directing things. He said, you can do this. So it sounds like you did not have the kind of high school experience where you feel insecure and less than. It sounds like you were a popular. No, I was a balance. I had a lot of accolades and a lot of encouragement and a lot of great relationships. And then I was this one thing that at the time was not the thing to be. So it was a little bit of a rough road, but you know, nowhere near what kids go through. Yeah. And did you have a best friend? I did. I had a couple of best friends. There was a guy named who just passed away not long ago. His name was Robert. 
I aspired to be Robert. Robert had a great look. He's a handsome kid. And he had this savant ability. He never took a music lesson, never took a piano lesson. He heard a song, he could play the song. Oh, wow. And I, because of that, I was a, <laughs> I learned music on flute because I had such heavy braces. I couldn't put anything in my mouth. We didn't have a piano. My parents said no to the drums and I wasn't going to play a violin. So I somehow wound up with a flute. Wait, back to the violin. I love the violin. I knew the way I was being picked on. Okay. The minute I pick up a violin, I go, I'm dead. I'm dead. A uh, flute, flute is basically, not much better. I was going to say, I come on. No, I understand. What but my lady. Uncle Artie played the flute. So okay. I figured, all right. He was very macho, my Uncle Artie. Okay. So I played the flute. I knew nothing about chords. I knew nothing about bass clef. I knew nothing. So Robert was so good, and the girls would flock to him because he could also sing. And uh, I said, I got to learn this instrument. I got to learn it. So I got a book on music theory and chord structure. And with a cardboard keyboard that I drew, wow. I would figure out sort of how to play chords. And then for 20 minutes, I'd go into the assembly room and, and be on a real piano and figure out. Really dedicated, though. I wanted the girls. You thought because the girls that came playing piano, if you learned to play piano. If they- I could be Robert. <laughs> but what's interesting is that you didn't feel competitive with him. You actually became best friends with him. We were very good friends. And uh, a guy named Carl, who was this kind of odd, eclectic, wonderful kid, he and I made a lot of crazy little Super 8 films. And um, Carl did little radio shows with me. And what would you guys do on weekends? Like when you say you're best friends, would you just hang out in each other's rooms? Or would you go to the we'd movies? We'd either make the, we'd pre-record the little radio shows or we would come in. Usually weekends we were here going to stuff. So How'd you have money? Oh, you took your commercial money and you paid for it? Well, it was, it was a dollar, I think, for the bus in wow. and a dollar back. If you were a student, you could stand at any show for $2 oh. back then. And we would go to Tad's Steaks. Tad's Steakhouse, yes. We're six bucks. It's soup, salad, steak, and, you know, whatever, past for steak. And then, uh, you know, we live like things. We would come in every Saturday, see a matinee and an evening show. And if there was really enough playing, we'd come back on Sunday and see something then too. So it was all theater all the time. It was a great education. Wow. Great education. Was there anyone that you saw that you flipped out over that later in life you got to work with? Well, Ben. Ben Vereen? Yeah, Ben and I became friends which was extraordinary. Did you ever get in trouble for anything by your parents or by a teacher? Mm. Oh, God. Well, I mean, you know, it was not great that I was fighting in the hallways with that kid. But that, there was once. nothing like that. No, I, I didn't. You didn't I break was a rules? good kid. I was a good kid. I wasn't looking for trouble. I also had jobs. I worked at uh, Baskin Robbins at the mall. I worked at Spencer Gifts. I worked at Puppy Palace for a summer and my mother was getting me jobs at the hospital because she was trying to get me towards that. <laughs> yeah, I so I had horrible jobs. In, in like what? I literally ran the machine that did the bedpans for a while, that cleaned bedpans. That was her way of saying, don't you want to be a doctor? Look at this yeah. good job I'm getting you. And then I was in the linen department, which sounded cute and cozy because it was largely washing things and getting it right. But then they would have me go up to the surgical theaters and take the soiled linens out and set for the next. Did you wear uh, gloves? Yeah, of course. I want to make sure. But, you know, it was, so mom did all she could to get me kind of down that path. Can you think of one memory that sort of perfectly encapsulates who you were in high school? Like this was so typical of you or this so shows who you were? I can tell you one that set the stage for something that I didn't realize I was going to have to come to grips with in my life. So I had become that guy at school and I was good enough that people went, no, you might be really kind of uniquely talented. And I had done a performance of something, and I was coming out to see friends and everything. My parents were there. 
And so many people had said, oh my God, you were great. Oh my God, you were great. Oh my God. That for a minute, I got a little full of myself and I wasn't gracious. And I don't remember exactly what I did. I don't think it was as bad as I know, but I did something non-gracious. And my mother came over and she said, if you ever respond to somebody like that again, you will not perform while you live in my house. I hadn't even realized that I had done something that was that unattractive and ungrateful. And it really stuck with me because A, I didn't realize that was how I was coming off and B, for my mom to do that was a big deal. And it set me up for life because I am not great with compliments. I'm really not. I don't, I mean, you, you hate not getting them. But when people start going, oh my God, you're this, you're that, you're that, I love this, I love that. And I go, oh, thank you. I, you know, there's not, but my desire is to kind of get away from it. But I have my mother in the back of my head all the time going, be very grateful for this. Make them feel appreciated that they did this for you. So it was a very big moment for me. Wow, what an impact that one moment had. Was Jim as horrific for you as it was for me? Thank God the bullying that I got did not go into the locker room. But I remember kids, oh my God, the things that they did to some of these kids. Like physically, you mean? Yeah. I remember this was a big one where they would put Nair, the... uh, Oh my God, that makes your hair... (gasps) In a jock strap, which... Ha ha, oh, your pubic hair fell out. It burns. It's oh. like a Hanson. There was another kid who was really, he might have been on the spectrum, but who knew from a spectrum right. back then? X-Lax comes in little chocolate squares. Oh and so they said, hey, Bob, you want some chocolate? And this kid soiled himself in a class. I mean, it was that kind of cruelty. Oh, uh, wow, you escaped the worst. I got far away from the worst of it, yeah. But you weren't a bully yourself. You didn't do that kind of stuff. I, uh, certainly not in high school. I may have in elementary school. I had a best friend in elementary school. And I remember, and this haunts me to this day, and I've seen him as an adult and said, you know, I've been haunted by this. Because I was so bullied, you know, the abused becomes the yes, abuser. And I remember one day walking with this kid, walking home from school, and for no reason that I can think of, saw this giant mud puddle and tripped him into the mud puddle. And I went, why did I do that? And his mother was furious with me, and she, like, said, you can't see him. So, like, for two weeks, I couldn't talk to him or anything. And then I finally, you know, really apologized and said, I'm so sorry. That seems but more impulsive than it has seemed It bullying. was impulsive, but it was one of those things going, why would you do that to your best friend? I mean, this guy, he was my best friend. We, we hung out all the time. So I, I think I had it in there. I just I never went that road. I didn't have to for any reason. And what about, when you say you're 30 pounds overweight, what kind of food were you overeating? What was, like, your go-to? Well, imagine... First of all, my parents, <laughs> I do a whole stand-up routine about this. My family had a very bad relationship <laughs> with food. My mother would actually say things. At the end of a dinner, she would say things, and I'm quoting now, there's only half a chicken left. I'm not going to put it back in the refrigerator. Somebody eat it. And we would. <laughs> and we would eat fast. I don't rem- my mother would make Thanksgiving dinner for six hours. In three minutes, there was nothing but carcass on the table. You didn't even know what animal had been there. It was just... totally. Did you go to your school prom? And if so, what was the theme? I don't remember the theme. I know the uh, song was Endless Love. Of course. That was the big song. I went with Melissa who who was kind of my, I said I had a a girlfriend for most of my senior year. She was it. I was not her it boy. Um, I I think I I was so interested in her. She went, well, it's a lot of attention. And I think she went, why not? But Melissa Rosenbaum was my prom date. And I remember we had a lovely time. Any smoking of cigarettes? 
for me, no. I said I had asthma when I was four. I got asthma. I, I'm such a Jew. I'm going to say Jewish, nerdy, and a goody two-shoes. Yeah, say no more. Exactly. Okay, get ready for This or That, where my guest reveals which pop culture thing they loved and hated in high school. All right, this segment is called This or That. I'm going to give you two different things from your four years in high school that were sort of popular at the time, and you tell me which of the two was more your thing. My thing. Cabernet Show or Saturday Night Live? Carol Burnett. I didn't get Saturday Night Live. I was too young when it's, you know, they were doing Harvard Lampoon humor, and I was this unsophisticated kid from Jersey going, oh, as the stomach turns, that's fantastic. Yes, Carbonette Show, <laughs> brava, 100%. In terms of, like, fun games with your friends, were you a spin the bottle or seven minutes in heaven? Do you remember those two? Oh, uh, yeah, no one was going in the closet with me. It was spin the bottle, and it always landed on a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my dream come true. Right, exactly. Um, in terms of games, were you Battleship or Twister? Twister. Or Stratego? Twister? Twister. Because how anyone would answer anything other than that, Twister, when you're a teenager, oh. that's foreplay. Uh, that's sex. I'm into you're twining. You're, you know, mm-hmm. you're under and holding. It's, it, there's, many, there's many glorious benefits to Twister. I hear it. Well, was there any girl you remember being really close to in Twister? Oh, that was a big theater game. Listen... I had an erection from basically grade eight to the end of high school. Okay, maybe that was too much info. Okay, um, <laughs> were you a Brady? No one noticed. <laughs> it's all good. It's dance belt. Uh, in terms of crushes, did you have a crush on any of the three Charlie's Angels? Were you sure. Farrah, a Kate, or a Jacqueline? I was Kate Jackson. Really? You weren't Shakes of Goddess, Farrah? No. And that's unusual because Blonde and Blue was my thing. I mean, Julian. But um, Kate is sort of like the um, Kate the choice to wit. My bell. She really. There was something about her, and it may have been that she was the smart one. Yeah, I was going to uh, say she wore glasses. <laughs> I think maybe sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, were you um, mid seventies show wise? Were you a Chicago or a Chorus Line? Always oh, definitely Chorus Line. Really, definitely Chorus Line. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's something very unusual about me. I have a thing, and the perfect example of this is Madonna, early Madonna. When anyone, male, female, or otherwise, has a persona that says, I know you want to bang me, mm-hmm. I immediately go, ah, but I don't. And Chicago <laughs> wore its sexuality yeah. in a very aggressive way. So that, did Pippin. It did at times, but it had a sweetness and a gentleness to it that Chicago was just about, it's sex, man. It's just sex all the way through. And so it pushed me away a little more than it pulled me. That's why you like the Kate Jackson, and that's why you exactly. like Morales, I guess. Like, who are Love you into? Love Morales. Of course. <laughs> Love Morales and Maggie. <laughs> yes, of course. Not Val. Not Val. You're impossible. Okay, scary movie-wise, were you Jaws or The Exorcist? Exorcist. Oh, was that scary? I saw Exorcist the day I got my driver's license. Oh. And I went, oh, I'm free. I can do anything I want. And I went to a th- 4 o'clock matinee of The Exorcist alone. <gasps> and when I came out, it was dark. <laughs> and I had to walk about two blocks to my car. And I was petrified. <laughs> it's so effing scary. Yeah. Now in terms of like beautiful ladies singing songs, were you a You Light Up My Life or an Evergreen? With all apologies to Babs, I was a You Light Up My Life. <gasps> and the reason was, I didn't realize it was Miss Boone. I was seeing Dee Dee Khan, who I thought was so adorable. Mm-hmm. That voice being yeah. in her was... I just went, oh, my God, she's the cutest thing on two feet. That's so your type. Okay. So if it had been sung by, like, Morgan Fairchild, you would have been interested. I do. It probably would have been right over to Babs. Exactly. Say no more. Annie-wise, did you love Annie when you were a kid? 
Um, if you pause that long, the answer must be no. Uh, well, what I loved was Dorothy Loudon. She and, oh, come on. Fitch, uh, Robert Fitch. Yes, thank you. That number and her participation in the show, I loved. The kids, I wanted to put a gun in my mouth. Okay, know. I'm ignoring you. The kids yeah. were amazing. Okay, it's time to find out how much my guest has changed or how much they have not. This is High School versus Now. Jason, now it's time for High School versus Now, where we see if you've changed in your reactions uh-huh. since high school. I'm going to give you two situations. Sure. Okay, show up in biology, and the teacher says there's this big test coming up on the elementary canal you completely forgot to study for, but you have to take it. Versus you show up at your final callback for a new musical about a Jewish musician. They're like, can you please sing the song we sent to you? You realize, oh, my God, you never learned the song because you never got it. What was your reaction then versus what would you react like now? I would have been in a blind panic over the school thing because that would have counted. I On your had permanent that, record? That's <laughs> that thing. That permanent record thing is that they really pushed that. That what became was a it? thing. We bought that pill. We swallowed that pill, the <laughs> permanent me. record. And now I go, you know, an audition, uh, my own damn fault. I should have. How could I? St- oh, stupid you. Now you don't deserve to get it. I would have walked away. But the test thing. I would have sat there and go, oh, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. <laughs> I'll never get out from under this. It's somehow. so hilarious. Okay, you walk into um, the locker room of the Jewish Y. You hear two classmates, Menachem and Yisroel, dishing you. <laughs> Nowadays, you're at Bliss getting a seaweed wrap. You hear um, Dame Judi Dench saying she loves Seinfeld, but she hates that George bloke. I hate the George bloke. How would you react? <laughs> I would have been devastated in high school. Devastated. What? Somebody doesn't like me? How could that be? I thought I was so damn likable. I know better than that now. Here is the actual equivalent to the Dame Dame Judy Judy Dench. Dench. So I do Jerome Robbins. I win the Tony. I leave the show. Two weeks later, I think it was Tony... I can't remember Terry Mann or Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts was first. Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts is out sick, and they have a new cover, and he doesn't know the show. (gasps) So I get the emergency call. Could you come back for just four performances? So I go back, the conquering hero, the Mm -hmm. Tony Award winner. (laughs) I go back, I do the show, and on the second performance, the Friday night show, I go to pick up my wife at her parents' apartment on East 61st Street. Now, the timing for this has to be so perfect because two seconds, one way or the other... Her parents lived on the third floor. I said, ah, forget the elevator. I'm going to go up through the stairs. I go to the stairs. And as I'm about to ring the doorbell, the people that live across the hall are going into their door. Oh, God. And I'm there just long enough to hear, he was okay. I would have liked to have seen Tony Roberts. And I'm going, really, God? Really? (laughs) I am here, back in the show, the conquering hero, friend of the theater, and only God could put me there to go, you're not all that, kid. And I went, yep. And I laughed. I just was hysterical laughing, going, two seconds, one way or the other. I never hear that. So devastated in high school, but you could take it now. You can laugh at it now. Yeah. Well, you got a Tony Award, so you know you're good. That's right. Fuck them. Thank you. 3A. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So specific. It's time for Show and Tell, where my guests show me mementos from their high school years. All right, Jason Alexander flew to New York from California and actually 
lug his heavy, heavy high school yearbook. Feel this thing. I wasn't kidding when I wow. said, come this on. This is like extra baggage fee. I almost put it, I was going to say, <laughs> I almost had to pay extra. If I wasn't flying mint. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I love mint. Mint. Oh, it's all about mint. Okay, so this is the yearbook from 1977. It's yeah. a cross-stitch cover. It says Crossroads. How appropriate. Okay, so I see the longest signature at the front, which I thought was your best friend, but it was actually, you just said, your acting teacher. This is my acting. And this is the man who's actually introducing me for the New Jersey Hall of Fame. Which, by the way, it literally is addressed to parentheses, a.k.a. Jason Scott. Right? He, he knew he about knew your fake stage name. Jason Scott, yeah. Even that though is... I was already Jason Alexander when he did this. but Look how sweet this is. Oh, amazing. Calling you Jay, though. Jay, I'm really going to miss you. And by the way, see how it says reserved for Bob Lamp? Before he ever wrote this note, the minute I got the yearbook, he said, give me that. And he wrote reserved so that no one would touch these two pages. And then I think he was the last one to sign the book. That is so nice. He was yeah, a really supportive sweet. teacher. Very much. So he wrote, don't write on this page either. That is yeah. so funny. It's a diatribe. Jason, would you read some of the amazing two-page nice thing your theater teacher wrote to you? Well, it starts very, very sweet. I'll just read the first two lines. Where does one begin? How do you tell another human being whom you love like a son how much he has meant to you and how his life has been enriched as a result of his friendship? Wow, that's nice. It was extraordinary. Um, In these three years I've known you, I've learned to not only care deeply and passionately about you and your life, but I also have seen a remarkable and unique God-given talent nurtured Mm. and developed. I take very little credit for this. Wow. You are a natural, instinctive talent who only needed to be given the freedom to create. Notice that kid in the corner? This is just a drawing. Yeah. That's me. Wait, this is, wow, you're like featured. Right, with the hair. But you look like you're wearing a prayer shawl. I'm not. (laughs) Okay. And the hair is, you have very thick hair in high school. Unbelievable thick hair. Although, by the time I left high school, it had begun. Really? Yeah. So you already knew in high school you were going to start to go bald. Did you think it would just be a little bit? No, I knew it was going to be the beginning of the end. And what was your feeling about that? Oh, inconsolable. Even though you knew you'd be doing probably character roles anyway? I didn't know that yet. I you, didn't know it yet. Dear, weren't you around five, six? I could have told you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. yes. Mirror, mirror on the I wall. Just, I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> I went to college thinking, because aside from Ben, who's not really a character actor, so he was my musical theater god, and my acting god, because I love Star Trek, was Bill Shatner. And I thought I was going to be a Bill Shatner-esque classical dramatic actor. And it wasn't until my second year of college that a professor of mine said, I know you would be a great Hamlet. You're not going to play Hamlet, so you better get good at Falstaff. And I went, oh, wow. And that's when I started really looking at comedy. But up until then, it was not where I thought I was going. And now you're, interestingly, most people have longer things about themselves. You really just have a quote. Yeah. You want to read it? So I was obsessed because I loved American history. And James Whitmore had done Give Him Hell Harry in New York. And I was blown away. It was the first time I saw a one-person show. Mm. And I was blown away by it. And so I started really getting into Harry Truman because I thought it was a fascinating life. So it's a Harry Truman quote. And it says, I never thought of myself as an extraordinary man, but I don't waste time worrying about what I'm not. I never thought it important how to say or do something, but merely to get it said and done. And why did I pick that? God alone knows. Really? I probably thought this is going to create an image of me that I 
can get behind. Well, it goes that. with the picture too, which is very sort of serious. Very serious, very serious. But remember, I was working at this point. I had a very clear image of what I wanted to do with my life. I had been accepted into a very prestigious theater school. And you wanted to be so, a serious actor. You didn't want to be a comic actor correct. per se. So sure, I was pretty outwardly cocky at this point. Inwardly, had no structure at all. It's almost the end of the episode, which means it's time for my two final questions. Okay, before we go, I always like to ask my guests two questions. If you could tell someone from your high school one thing right now, if they happen to be listening, or maybe your entire high school, what would you finally like to say? As I said, there was one young man who I knew who was clearly gay. Mm. And to be able to go back, I wish I could have said, hey, man, I see you. I get you. You're fantastic. And you're going to be out of here before you know it. And there's a whole world that is waiting to love you with open arms. Just tough it out, be unafraid. We got your back. I wish I could have done something like that. Not only in high school, I, there were many, many times in life where I wish you could have said something like that. And if a young Jason Alexander is listening, if you could talk to young Jay Greenspan, what would you say to him? A 15-year-old Jay Greenspan, what would you like to say to him? Here's what I would say. You were enough. You didn't have to do all the stuff you did to try and be important, noticed, good enough, accepted, attractive, funny, smart. I probably tried on so many personas to see if anything would fit. Some of them were so disingenuous. And it hasn't been, in, honestly, I just turned 60. I would say in the last 10 years, I've gotten to the place where I go, okay, I think you're now living a genuine life because there was so much adapting to, oh, I'm a celebrity now. What is that going to be? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a comedian now. What is that going to be? Oh, I'm a father and a husband now. And oh, I'm a this, that, and the other thing. In conclusion, Jay Greenspan. Yes. It's been delightful. I feel I've gotten to know you very well. Uh, well, I can't imagine you're any better for it. But I was going to say, I feel, I feel like it was a lateral move, but I'm yeah, happy absolutely. that I did. Thank you. <laughs> this episode of Seth Rudesky's Back to School was produced and engineered by Sarah Esikoff. Our theme music was written by Seth Rudetsky and sung by Seth Rudetsky and Maggie McDowell. Our band was Seth Rudetsky, Mark Schmied, Carrie Meads, and Jim Hirschman. This episode was mixed by James Billado. Seth Rudetsky's Back to School is a serious XM production and is executive produced by me, Seth Rudetsky, Brandon Getchis, and Maggie Van Dorn. 